but I really want to continue. This will be my final message in relation to um, the Baptist distinctives. And I just want to talk about today just some guidelines for liberty. Guidelines for liberty. And so sometimes the, the topic of individual soul liberty is so big, it can get confusing. And that's why I've been spending a lot of time going through this and, and sharing the different aspects of that, especially with false teaching and works-based salvation and so forth, but also how that we as Christians can abuse the liberty that we have. And uh, we use it as more of a freedom to do what we want other than a freedom to serve others and to have no restrictions in serving uh, in the Lord's will for our lives. And so uh, what I want to do is just today, I think this is my, my sixth point in the whole series here, uh, is just talk a little bit about just a couple of very simple uh, guidelines that will help us understand some of the boundaries of liberty within our lives. And so I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. I don't know, Ben, if you found the right uh, place there on your... Uh, he's got to scroll down and find which point I'm at. So it's number 6, Roman numeral number 6, um, guidelines for liberty. And uh, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The first, just the first guideline I'm just going to throw out there is this, is that no person must be forced or manipulated to believe anything against their will. That's, that's really the essence of individual soul liberty. Every person has to choose for themselves, all right? And, uh, and so just because you can make somebody, you know, twist their arm and make them say yes doesn't mean you've accomplished anything because the Lord, his whole desire is for people to freely choose from the heart to serve him, to believe him, to follow him. Never are they supposed to be coerced or dragged in unless you're a child and your parents are here. <laughs> Amen. Then you drag them in because they need help. But uh, as far as being uh, an adult of free will, your, your, your ability to choose, uh, you shouldn't be ever forced or manipulated. And that's why I'm very careful even in our soul winning. Sometimes there's tactics out there where they say do this and do this and then this will make them do that. And I'm not for salesman tactics. I'm for giving out the gospel and telling about Christ and let the Holy Spirit do that work in their heart. And if they, uh, you know, I think sometimes what we want to do is get them on our hook instead of putting them on the Holy Spirit's hook. And we're scared we're going to lose them. Well, I better make them pray now. And Well, no, uh, it's the Holy Spirit of God. And when they're on his hook, that's his business, not ours. And so we're just there to facilitate the process and to be a help to bring them to Christ if that's their desire. But never should we be manipulating anybody and violating this principle even in our soul winning. Amen. It should always be individual soul liberty. The next point I wanted you to just see here is the Bible has to be our source of truth. And so uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse number 12, I want to share this with you. A good verse, you all know it, uh, probably maybe in some of it by heart. It says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So really what's happening, like I talked about this morning, why it is you have two people at odds with one another is they got different ways about them. They got different philosophies, different ideas, different doctrines that they believe, and that's what causes the headbutting to take place, all right? And so what we have to do is, is settle this. What is your source of truth? Yeah. What is your source of truth? And that's why it's very care we got to be very careful. That's something we talked about at the pastor's conference and some of the dangers that people are, are, 
uh, putting themselves in when they're surfing online looking for truth and doing searches and say, what about this? And finding out what this guy says and what that guy says. And, and if you don't have discernment, if you're not nailed down in your doctrine, you could easily be swayed to another position. Amen. And so we got to be very careful about that because the Bible and the rightly dividing the word of truth has to become our source of truth. And so it's always good to pray that the Lord would bring you to right sources of knowledge, not the wrong sources. And so it's not just indiscriminately looking online and searching for things and, oh, this guy seems to know what he's talking about. You really got to make that a matter of prayer because uh, there is everything online you could possibly imagine, every position, and, and the wrong ones, many of them. And many of them don't have the right positions, and you'll come across some of those. And so uh, Hebrews 4.12, the word is, of God is quick. That means alive and powerful. And so we have to make that our, our, our core belief. Um, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so if you want to be perfect, I mean mature, it doesn't mean you're, well, I'm not going to be perfect, preacher. I've, I've got problems. I mean, I can't be perfect. Well, it's not talking about being, having sinless perfection. What it's talking about is becoming mature for where you're at. Uh, if you've been saved five years, you should be a five-year-old Christian. Just like a five-year-old child should be five years old. They shouldn't be ten. They shouldn't be one. They should be five. And so whatever maturity level they're at, that's where they ought to be. And the Lord looks at that and says, well, that's perfect for a five-year-old. Amen. Why would I want more? Or a 12-year-old or a 15 or a 20 or a 30-year-old. You know, when a 30-year-old acts like a five-year-old, that is not right. That's not perfect. But the Lord will say, if, hey, if, if you're acting your age uh, spiritually, that's perfect to me. But that doesn't mean you're done. It doesn't mean that there's more, more that needs to be done in your life. You need to continue the process of growth. As you grow, your source of knowledge or your knowledge should grow in the scriptures. Amen. And you'll continually be perfect. I want to be perfect. And so the moment you step back from the Bible and you're, you're going forward as a Christian without the scriptures, you're no longer perfect because you're not allowing the word of God to keep up with your age. Amen. So you got to have the scriptures with you constantly reading and studying and making it a matter of prayer as to what the Lord would have you to know from the Bible so you can change the way God wants you to change. And so all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. And uh, Luke 16, verse 31, you have the account of, uh, of uh, the rich man in hell. And when he asked Abraham to send up Lazarus to tell his brothers not to come to this terrible place, which is a legitimate request. But the problem is, uh, the thing is that that doesn't work. Uh, well, sure, if, he'd, if someone would rise from the grave, surely they'd listen to him. And you know what Abraham said? No, they wouldn't. Now, Christianity today is giving you a different message. They're saying, if I can show you power evangelism, if I can show you a miracle, if I can show you someone risen from the dead, then you'll believe the gospel. No, they won't. No, they won't. That's why he says here, he says, and he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they, per they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. So if they're not going to listen to the Bible, they're not going to listen to someone rising from the dead. They're not going to take the truth from that. They've already rejected the truth. 
So you'll either receive the truth or you'll reject the truth. However you think you're going to get it, it's not going to make the difference. So you, you have to have a heart for the truth. And uh, we'll get into that in, in relation to the church here, but um, the scriptures are a way of liberation through the Spirit. And God wants to liberate you, and He wants to do that through the Word of God. And, and you know, some people like that, some people don't. Some people, especially, and folks, uh, I'm sorry to say this, but many people that cause the most problems in the church aren't the new converts and aren't the immature people that haven't grown or known. It's the people that have grown up in Baptist churches that think they've heard every preacher under the sun, they know what I believe, and they don't want anybody to tell them that, you know, I don't know the truth. And they cause problems because they're, they're not humble before God. They, they always got to, you know, say, I know that. I already know that, you know. Like I've told you some of the situations I've had to go. I taught a message and I'd have someone go, oh, yeah, the Lord already taught me that. I said, well, that's great. It happened so often, I was wondering, I, why do you need a preacher? I mean, you shouldn't even be in church. You don't really need to learn anything, you know. I mean, you got to get past that kind of stuff. But, you know, the more you're in church, you got you got to be careful of that danger of thinking, I know enough or I know so much that no man can be my teacher. But it happens all the time. And that's where you stop being perfect before the Lord. you got to let him continue to teach you, no matter how old you are. Uh, you know, I'm not super old. Uh, you know, I'm old enough, I guess. But I remember when I was 30 years old, you'd have people come in that were 90 years old. I remember that old saint of God we had in our church, Mr. Corey. Who, how old was he? 90, 90 years old. And I was just a starting preacher. But he sat there and he listened. He humbled himself and he learned the truth. Even though he's an old saint of God. You know, I always said when he prayed, I said, everybody just shut up and listen because the angels are bowing their ear down right now. Don't, don't mess this up. You know, because that man was just so in tune. You could just tell he was just talking to God himself. And you know what? I, I don't feel worthy to teach a man like that. But yet at the same time, he in his heart humbled himself and wanted to learn and continue to grow at 90-some years old. <laughs> That's wonderful, Amen. Sometimes people go, oh, I'm smart enough. I've learned enough. No, you have not. Uh, we need to continue to have the scriptures liberate us. You need more liberation. And, and no matter how old you are, there's more parts of your life that need liberating. <laughs> Amen. And you need the Holy Spirit. You need the Word of God. Those two things. Um, Psalm 119 verse 45 says, I will walk at liberty for I seek thy precepts. I walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. So he was tying the liberty that he was experiencing with, with the aspect of learning more of the scripture. Amen. Uh, James 1.25, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. John 8, verse 31, it says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word... Then are ye my disciples indeed. So who's a disciple? Someone that used to read the Bible? Someone that knows the Bible? Someone that has taught the Bible? No. Someone that continues in the Bible. That's who a disciple is. So if I've decided, oh, well, I'm pretty spiritual, I'm doing pretty good, and I've started letting the Bible go to the wayside, well, I'm not being a disciple like Jesus said. <laughs> Amen? Those are my disciples, are those that continue in the Word. Why is that? Because the word disciple means a learner, a learner from the master. 
So how can I be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ if I'm not learning from the master? And so the moment I put the scriptures aside, I'm no longer a learner. I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. Praise God for that. But I'm not a disciple. And a disciple is a different thing than just simply a Christian. Now, there's some people that argue that. They think that once you get saved, you're automatically a disciple. Well, I beg to differ. I've been pastor long enough. <laughs> you know, it takes a while for people to catch on to that sometimes. And there's things that hinder it in their heart. And, and just because you get saved doesn't fix you. It doesn't just remove everything. There's things that still keep you from growing the way you ought to. And you need to deal with that. Amen? And that's why maybe my prayer life isn't what it ought to be. And my Bible reading isn't what it ought to be. Because I've got other things that are taking my mind and my thoughts and away from the Lord. You know? And so you have to choose also to be a, a disciple. As well as being born again. I'm born again. And I'd love it that everybody that's born again just would become a disciple. That just doesn't happen that way. We have to continue in the word. Continue in the word. And there's Christians that don't continue. So you can be saved and not continue. But the fact of the matter is you're still not a disciple. And so we've got to continue in the word of God, become a learner. Um, he goes on, to so, goes on to saying, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So what's he talking about freedom? He's talking about liberty. He's talking about the truth liberating you. So when you continue in the word of God, he says that truth is going to liberate your life. And you'll become a greater disciple as you grow. But if you don't spend time in the Word of God, no liberation. <laughs> Amen. You're stuck. In fact, the Bible says you lose what you got. Many times the wisdom that you've gained through your Bible study and the heart that you had for it begins to dissipate because we're walking away from the source of truth. Amen. So we got to be careful. Uh, John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, <clears throat> that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Amen. He says, I sanctify myself. I'm setting myself aside for the cause of Christ, for the cause of the lost. And my desire is that my people also sanctify themselves. That they become what I want them to be. That they set themselves apart from the world. That they make themselves a disciple and grow and become what God wants them to be. So you're not just a worker on your job. You, my friend, are a Christian worker on the job. <laughs> Amen. So if you, you drive a, 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 you know, a semi, you're not just a truck driver. You are a Christian truck driver. And that's different than a truck driver. If you work construction, you're not just a construction worker. You are a Christian construction worker, and that's different, different because you're sanctified unto the Lord within that, within that dynamic of where you're working. So if you want to be like the rest of your co-workers, well, I'm sorry, you're not going to be used of God. You have to set yourself apart to the Lord's work, amen? And it's not easy, like I said this morning, it causes suffering. I mean, you're going to lose some things, but you're going to gain far more. It's not worthy to be compared, remember? Amen? And so my third point is this. The church must maintain policies and requirements based upon scriptures. Therefore, joining a church obligates us to follow the doctrine and policies held by the church for the sake of peace and testimony. So this is where sometimes we lose it. We say, well, individual soul liberty, you can't tell me what to believe, preacher. That means I can be a member and believe what I want. <laughs> well, the thing is, what makes you a member of the same body is, is you're like the other members of that body. You can't have division that way. We have to have unity of doctrine. 
Amen. And we're living in such a hodgepodge society today where people believe this, that, or the other, and they come from this. Even when you talk about Baptist, I mean, there's Baptist churches. I would not send you people to go to those Baptist churches. I would not suggest that you go there. So just because they have a word Baptist on there doesn't mean that they're fit for you. <laughs> Amen. And I know that because we've got a certain belief about the scriptures, and that will define who we even fellowship with as, as a Baptist church. Amen? Doesn't mean I don't love them. Doesn't mean that I don't care about, you know, how, how well they do. But the thing is, you can't start in, intermingling because what's going to happen is we're going to start losing that truth that you've been holding on to. So the church has to have boundaries. They have to have parameters. They have to have doctrinal purity and so forth and you have to fight for that amen it doesn't mean you can't go visit a church and you have to ask my permission every time you <laughs> go go somewhere that's not what it is at all it is that you need to learn how to discern your position and stay with people of like faith many times you you read our statement of faith that talks about like faith what is like faith well they talk about jesus that doesn't mean it's like faith like faith is same doctrine same doctrine. That's why even when we take membership and you've been baptized in a certain church, are they of like faith? You know? And I've had people, oh yeah, we're just like you. Now they don't know us. And then they begin to find out from others that they're not like us. They're different, but they, they want to associate. So what they do is they put themselves out there like you. They're the ones that are deceiving. <laughs> Amen? And so you got to be careful. Just because they put out the, the tile there and say, we're the Baptists, uh, that's not it. you got to look at the doctrine. you got to know what they believe, the like faith. And that means that you need to know what you believe. Amen? You need to know the, the parameters of your doctrine. You need to understand that. That's the only way you're going to protect yourself. And any father or mother in this place would say amen because your desire is to protect your kids. You know, the world maybe doesn't think that way. They take their kids and put them in any old thing, and as long as they tell me a good sob story, oh, yeah, we'll do that, <laughs> you know. No, no, sob stories don't do it, and I, I know it's hard. You know, I go to Tim Horton sometimes, and would you support our camp? <laughs> now, just the sheer aspect of our humanity, we're always feeling guilty that we're not, you know, good enough. And so we also start throwing money. But let me ask you this, what do they do at this camp? What do they teach them? Well, I don't know, but it must be good. No, that's not good enough. <laughs> if you want to donate money to a camp or to something else, you better know what they believe. Amen? Because what God has given you has not been given to you just throw it into the wind. It's been given to you to, to further his cause on earth. Amen? So that's what I mean. Like with the, within the church, this is the place where you develop the boundaries of life. You know? It's not just whatever goes, goes. I mean, you're going to regret that. Uh, Christians that do that, they see it in their children, and their children behave wrong. You, you got to keep it tight. You got to keep the doctrine right. You got to teach that to your kids. You got to keep moving forward within those parameters to keep right. First uh, John two nineteen. This is what it says: They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt have continued with us. But they went out. That they, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Say, well, that's pretty harsh, preacher. Well, God wrote that, <laughs> amen. What he is saying here, the Apostle John is saying what happens in the local assembly, you have people come in that don't believe like you. 
And as the preaching of the Word of God comes forward, and you're saying very dogmatic, and I had one person one time come to me, and they were of a different faith in many ways. She, oh, you, you, you just can't say things dogmatically. <laughs> and I looked at her, uh, yes, I can. Watch me. <laughs> you know? And I did. What she was saying is, don't be so hard-lined on all these positions. Let's just, let's just all get along. You know? No, 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 no. In this house, what we do is we teach the Word of God as plainly as we possibly can. And we invite anybody to come and be a part of that, uh, that teaching. But if there's something in them and they're not willing to give it up, they're holding on to this faith, this aspect of faith, and they're not willing to give that up, they will absolutely leave one day. You need to understand that. And that's why when we talk to somebody about membership, we give them a statement of faith. We say, do you agree with this? They will not become a member if they do not agree with a statement of faith. Of course, unless they're a child and they've been baptized and they kind of come in and later on they have to maybe make that decision or whatever. But uh, most adults <laughs> that come in, they'll have to agree to our statement of faith to be a member of this church. I mean, we're making decisions about, about what God's going to do with this church, what missionaries we're going to support. We need to have the same mind, and that's what the Bible says. We're supposed to speak the same thing. We're supposed to have the same mind. If you find yourself going home and you're always saying, oh, I don't know why they do this, and I don't know why you, and you always seem to be working against it, ask yourself whether you're of the same faith or not. Amen? Because ultimately, that's going to rub you the wrong way. You're going to get mad, <laughs> you know? But you're going to go out from us. And you know what the Bible says? They went out from us, but they, they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt have continued with us. Of course, unless you're moving to another part of the country or something like that. But then, they're, then you're not going out from us. You're just moving and you're still in fellowship and you're still communicating. You still love the church and you're still involved in, in some way. Amen. But you know, when people just leave and you don't know where they are, they were not of us. And, you know, I try sometimes chasing them as much as I can, just say, hey, is there anything I can do? But, you know, you can't chase after people like that. Sometimes you just got to let them go, and that's hard for a pastor. I don't want to let people go, you know. But, you know, if I don't, I'm going to end up getting crazy here you know, about all these people I got to go run after and waste my time on things when there's people here that do want to learn, and I got to give myself my energy to you folks. Amen? And so it's very, very important that we understand this that it's important that this church has doctrinal boundaries, and you say, why don't we just open it? And the, the big fight today is within churches, why don't you lower that standard? Why don't you just let anybody do this? And, you know, we, we, we have certain standards. Like, uh, folks, we want our nursery to be full of workers that people can trust, that they are of like faith. Amen? That's why we have certain requirements. You know, we have to have those things. If you're not willing to make a statement on who you are or what you believe, well, then how do we know? <laughs> you know, and that's why we say sometimes not everything we do is about just members, but a lot of what we do is membership-based. Why? Because we know what they believe then. They've made a dogmatic statement. They say, yes, we are for you. We are with you on this. Amen? And that makes a difference. And that's why it's important for you to keep moving forward and, and find the church that you can agree with and that you can go forward serving in. Because no, no Christian ought to be just out there aloof doing their own thing. That's not the way it ought to be. We ought to all be a part of the same body, same mind, speaking the same thing, one spirit striving together 
for the faith of the gospel, Philippians 1.27. Amen? So to finish this off, I just wanted to give you ways to change the minds of people. <laughs> Amen? So it's not like if someone believes something different than you that you can't do something about it. But you just can't force them. You can't make them. You can't manipulate them. But the scriptures give us ways that we can help them to understand. And I want to give you a couple of these points here. The first one is persuasion. You can persuade people. And so persuasion is to convince by argument. Now, what's happening today, I don't know if you've noticed this, if you ever looked at any social media, uh, you looked at Turning Point USA and some of the things they do on campuses and you watch them you know, talk to young people, as soon as you don't agree with them, all of a sudden, you're, you're doing violence. You're, you're committing violence against me. No, no, no. The Bible tells us that it's okay to persuade. That means convince by argument. Amen? And that's all these people ever want to do. Well, let's talk about it. Let's debate it. Oh, no, I feel you're attacking me. <laughs> you know, they're just, so, they're just so sensitive. And they're so offended because your way is different than their way. Amen? And if your way is different, you're the one that's a problem. You're the one that's attacking. You're the one that's evil. You're the one that's violent. All these things. But no, no, the Bible gives us clear direction. In Acts 14, 19, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. And so people are persuaded. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.12, it says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am, believed, that's a song, I <laughs> believed, and am I'm ready to sing it, amen, and have persuade, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed again, unto him against that day. You know, sometimes you've got to talk to people and persuade them. Uh, you know, if they've been brought up in a false doctrine, and a false teaching about losing salvation, You've got to take time to persuade them by argument why it is they shouldn't believe that. You know? Oh, yeah, but you're going to cause them some uh, anxiety or whatever. Folks, if you believe what you believe, and you believe that's truth, there's no anxiety with that. I can have people come to me and they can say, Jesus was this and Jesus was that. There's no anxiety. Why is there no anxiety? Because I know who Jesus is. Why would I have anxiety about... The only reason that we are offended and have anxiety about things is because we ourselves are not settled. We're not settled. That's what happens. Amen? So you've got to settle yourself. Settle yourself in the truth. And then you're ready to convince by argument about these things. Um, number two is teaching. This means to become a pupil. Acts 11, verse 26, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So this is scriptural, to be a pupil of a teacher. Amen? So when we're sitting down in the church, whether it be right now, because this is teaching, I mean, uh, more teaching tonight than preaching, you know, but teaching is important because you're laying out a principle, you're laying it out on your minds. You're, 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 you're putting it right on your mind and saying, okay, I need to meditate on this. Preaching is different. Preaching is laying it in your heart. Teaching is putting it on your mind. <laughs> Amen? Teaching is putting it in a place where you're going to sort it all out and you're going to put these pieces together. But when the preaching of the Word of God takes place, there's something happening in my heart and I don't understand it. 
there's some kind of a passion and truth about what's going over that pulpit that, that bypasses even my mind and goes straight into my heart, <laughs> you know, and I feel conviction. I feel desire about doing the right thing or whatever it is. And so preaching is a slightly different uh, thing than teaching. But in Acts 20, verse 20, it says, the Apostle Paul says, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house. See, the Apostle Paul was busy. He jumped from house to house teaching, uh, make, having pupils and listening to him and, and teaching and so forth. Now, I believe there's, there is definitely qualifications for teachers in the church. And one time I had somebody come in, say, yeah, I'd like to come to your church, but if we come in, then me and my wife want to be a Sunday school teacher. I said, well, yeah, I can't say that to you. You know, teachers aren't self-appointed around here, you know. Uh, folks, I have to, as a pastor, look at the congregation, look at the flock, saying, what do they need? What kind of example do we set before them? And that's who we choose to be teachers. They have to be the ones, the ones that know what to say, the, know, the ones that will understand the doctrine. And if the children ask them something, they're going to give the right answer. Amen? So it's not just something to do in the church. It's a teaching ministry. Really, it's an extension of the pastor's ministry, the Sunday school. Amen? I really believe it is. It's not separate. It's not something I'm not interested in. Now, I may have someone look over that or take care of those type of things, but I'm very interested, and if I don't see something I like, I'll stop that. And I'll say, we're changing this because we need to make sure that things are done right. You can ask our teachers. I've talked to them about all this. <laughs> Brother Paul, I was talking about youth, and I was saying, this is what I like for our kids to start learning. I like the, the Sunday school time to be a time where they go through the scriptures and they get just a solid foundation of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. I want them to know the Bible and what it's making. I don't want inspirational preaching in Sunday school because that's what preachers usually like doing. <laughs> they like just getting off and inspiring. But that's not what Sunday school is. I want them to learn in Sunday school. I want them to get an understanding of the books of the Bible and what they're all about and some of the main themes of that and why God wrote them and so forth. Now, that may be boring to a, a preacher, but it's definitely needful for the people. So when I don't see that happening, I say, you got to stop this. And we need to do what I believe we need to do for the church. Amen? So that's what we do. So it's not just a hodgepodge. I know how to teach, preacher. I can do it. <laughs> well, maybe you can do it. But I'll tell you something, the Lord has put on my heart what I'm supposed to do within this local church. And every aspect of this, folks, our statement of faith, our constitution puts it very clear that, you know, I bring people on here, whether it be an assistant, whether it be a Sunday school teacher, basically they're all fulfilling the same role and they're an extension of the pastor in the church. You can't have a separate person taking control, you know. It all comes from one source, and hopefully, by the grace of God, I'm taking it from the Lord and directing it out towards the people, through these people. So if they're not, they don't, well, I don't care what you got to say, Pastor, I'm going to do my own thing. I'll just say, okay, <laughs> somebody new, please, <laughs> because I'm not going to sacrifice the church for hurting someone's feelings. You understand that? We have to do this right. We have to extend the ministry that God has given me in this church towards the children, towards the youth, towards the adults, and so forth. Amen. You guys get what I'm saying there? And so teaching is very important. Number three is reasoning. Reasoning. This means to say or to lay out thoroughly. So reasoning is important. Can you reason through your position? 
Can you reason your doctrine out? Can you lay it out clearly so that people can understand? Well, the Bible says in Acts 17, verse 2, And Paul and his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. See, you got your source of truth, and you've got your method. The method was reasoning. Amen? So this wasn't preaching necessarily. This wasn't inspirational. This wasn't even just a Sunday school class. This is him sitting down and having a conversation and reasoning out the points of Scripture with these people. Now, obviously, some of them would be, a will, be, would be willing to hear the reasoning. Some of them don't want the reasoning because I got my own reasoning. Amen? And so you have that constantly. And so Acts 18, verse 4, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. So through reasoning, there was persuasion, amen, convincing by argument. Uh, Acts 18, 19, and he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. It's interesting that who is he always reasoning with? <laughs> the Jews. Now, why is he reasoning with the Jews? Because they had their own mind on things. They were Old Testament law. They were holding the Old Testament truth and... He said, well, you know, I came from there. I know exactly what you're saying, but what you're missing is this, you know? And, and it's an interesting, I just heard a Christian just say how that uh, he was meeting with a Jewish couple and trying to explain to them that Jesus was the Messiah. There's a way you can reason with a Jewish person about who the Messiah is, and that's Jesus Christ. That's their problem. If they would just receive the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, they could be saved and their family could be saved. But I need to reason that with them. I need to lay it out so that they understand that. And so for me as a pastor, sometimes I'm kind of overwhelmed saying, how do I teach people to reason all these things with others? You know, So you have to, even on your own, learn how to reason. Amen? How do I prove that Jesus is God from the Bible? Say, preacher, you haven't taught me that yet. <laughs> well, amen, I plan to do that. But, you know, these are questions you got to ask yourself. How can I do this? How can I sit down with someone that doesn't believe Jesus is God? They say he's a good person, he's a good teacher, he's a prophet. I like him, he's a good dude, whatever they say. And for you to take it from that position and say he's actually God of heaven. He created all things. Are, are there scripture I can use to reason with them? You know? How about, how about somebody that's maybe based in Old Testament? Can I go to the Old Testament and reason with them about who the Messiah is? Is, is there scripture that I can go to and, and convince them? Of course, you're not going to find the name Jesus in the Old Testament, but you find Jesus in the Old Testament, <laughs> amen, and to take them through if they're willing to listen and reason with them. Uh, number four is reprove and rebuke. Now, these are fun ones. To prove one wrong, to tell a fault. So sometimes, you know, this isn't violence, this isn't making anybody do things, but standing up and preaching the word of God and saying, this is sin, this is wrong, we ought not be doing this, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus, I mean, he laid things out pretty clear with people, and it offended a lot of people when he did, but he reproved and rebuked. Uh, he went to the Pharisees and he says, you whited sepulchers. How would you like someone seriously, especially the Messiah, to come to you and say, you're a whited sepulcher? And that would be an insult. Or that would be 
man, I am? <laughs> you know, what's wrong with me? I, I'm full of dead men's bones? What does it mean to be whited on the outside? What does it mean to be, to put on a nice white front, but my insides are dead, full of dead men's bones? That's a pretty serious thing to say, but that's reproving and rebuking. That's, that's pointing out a fault. That's saying there's something wrong here. It needs to be dealt with. It's because he loved them and he wanted them to be saved, but he knew some of them wouldn't be saved. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4.2, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. There's my qualifiers. So reproving and rebuking. It's not just a matter of getting mad as a preacher and saying, I want you to do this. You know, the Bible tells me if I'm going to reprove and rebuke, I need to have two things lined up in my life. I need to be a long-suffering person, and I need to know doctrine. Those are the two things. So that means if I'm a hot-tempered and I, I don't have patience with people, I can reprove and rebuke only if I have patience. Because you're going to have to continue on, continue on, continue on. And some people, they, it takes years and years to change. But to reprove and rebuke. But you've got to be long-suffering. Amen? So here, when you're dealing with people, you don't want to violate the principle of individual soul liberty. There's nothing wrong with pointing out the sin or pointing out something that's hindering them from going forward or even putting them in danger. But there is something wrong if I'm not long-suffering with them if I don't give them time. Amen? Because the Bible says like this, uh, when the mockers said, where is the promise of your coming? <laughs> well, Peter wrote, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the Lord had a lot against some of these people, but he's saying, you know what, I'm going to give you time. I'm going to suffer long for you. Amen? And so when we're dealing with people, let's be careful not to violate the principle of soul liberty. That doesn't mean you can't tell them. doesn't mean you can't convince them that there's a problem. But it means that you cannot force them. You cannot uh, put them in a position where they, you make this right now or else. Ultimatums. Can't do it. Can't do them. That's why there was something real wrong with what happened in our country in the last couple of years. That's a complete violation of individual soul liberty. But that's a world we're living in right now. When we've had principles that guided us for all these years, you know, that were based in scriptural principles, that were actually uh, con contributed by independent Baptists, by the way. They were contributed by Baptist people. The Constitution of the United States, the reason why those things were in there because of the Baptist churches and what they believed about individual soul liberty. And that trickled over into Canada because, well, this has got to work for us too. We're, we're neighbors now. So even though they were loyalists and they, they uh, followed England when the U.S. didn't, they still adopted the principles of freedom of religion based upon the principles that were given to them by Baptists. And that opened the door for many Baptists to come into Canada and start evangelizing this country. And they moved from the east to the west. If you look at history, there's many things that were done in the early years of Canada where these men went out there and preached in harsh and pioneering conditions to bring people to Christ. Amen? You'd never know it today, <laughs> you know, 
But that's why I believe we have success maybe in Airdrie. Because there's already been a foundation laid. We're building upon another man's work. I felt that right away is coming to this city. This isn't just about me taking someone out of that doesn't know anything. This is something that where people have laid foundation before. And maybe we need to fix some of the foundation, and maybe we need to shore up some of the walls on that foundation. But you know, ultimately, there are a lot of people that have, that have worked very hard in the past in this area. That's why it used to be called the Bible Belt. You say, a Bible Belt? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Maybe we need to make it one again. Amen. Maybe it's on us to do that. That's what those people that believed individual soul liberty did in the past. Maybe that's how we're going to do it this way. It's not going to be through government persuasion. It's going to be through preaching and rebuking and reproving, through, through reasoning with people and teaching people. That's how we're going to make a difference. Not manipulating. Let them choose. Let them choose. I love to chase after everybody and say, no, no, you come, you come. No, you can't. They have to make their choices. Amen. And so... Titus 2.15 says, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. With all authority. There's nobody that can say, you can't do that, preacher. There's not one person in this room that can stop me. You can leave. <laughs> you can leave me an empty room. <laughs> Amen. I could preach at the pews. But you know, there's no authority on earth that can stop me from reproving and rebuking sin and different things that are going on in this world. And the moment, that's what happens in a lot of churches. You guys have all heard of churches that where the preacher was preaching and now all of a sudden maybe you have deacons or you have some other men that don't like that or they want to take the church in a certain direction. And all of a sudden they go to the preacher and say, oh, no, you need to stop doing this and stuff. And so what they're doing is they're trying to take, they're trying to assume authority, authority that they do not have. And if you've got a good preacher, he's not going to give in. But man, there's going to be some problems coming. Because these people are going to go around and turn the people against the preacher, and that's happened. Do you remember that old fellow I talked about, that 90-some years old? He was a deacon in an independent Baptist church in Kenora. And the deacons turned against the pastor. And he said, I was the only deacon that stood with my pastor. I was the only one. They all turned. They would hire preachers to come preach in the church without the pastor even knowing there were times where the preacher had invited someone to preach and the deacons had someone come out the same night. <laughs> Whoa, you talk about assumed authority? <laughs> Folks, deacons don't have authority in the church to run the church. Deacons, the word deacon means diakonos, it means to serve. They were brought on to become a servant to the church. They were the ones that were supposed to help people. But they allowed it to go to their heads. And now I can make decisions. And many times the pastor sometimes is guilty of that because you're the one that's giving them all this authority, you know, to do these things. When in all reality, the deacons ought to be there to serve. But the deacons, because they're faithful men, they're, not, they're also someone you can trust. So you do bring them some of the problems and you say, hey, we need to deal with this and deal with that. And so they, they feel like they're, they're on the end of these things, which isn't always fun, by the way. I know many deacons that would, would, not, would rather not go into the deacons' meetings. <laughs> Because it's hard dealing with problems. It's not fun, you know. Anybody that has fun with that ought not be a deacon. <laughs> you know, they ought to all be saying, "Do I have to? <laughs> Do I have to go?" You know. But anyways, number five is exhort. 
exhort. This means to aid, to help, to comfort, to beseech. 2 Corinthians 9, 5 says, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof you have noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not of covetousness. So he's saying that he was exhorting these people to, to deal with the offerings that were going to be given to, so that they would do it. So you can exhort people to do good things and to do the right thing. That's not manipulation. That's exhorting. Amen? That's drawing alongside. It's encouraging them to do the right thing. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word, be instant in season, not a season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. So alongside the reproving and rebuking, and the rebuking is a strong, strong warning to the people of God. I've rarely had to do that in this church. I've probably done it once, maybe twice, in the last five years. But repro reproving is exposing Exposing what's underneath, exposing the problems. You know, sometimes there's stuff even going on in the church that the preacher has to say, hey guys, this has got to stop. Maybe not pointing out personalities, but saying, hey, this is what I've seen going on here. <laughs> and this isn't right. Amen? Now, whoever's doing it is going to be the one, preacher, you don't got the right to, <laughs> you know. But those that don't want that in the church say, yeah, preacher, let's deal with this thing. You know, let's get it dealt with. Um... Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So we have, to be, we have to consider each other and exhort one another because sin has its way of hardening your heart and you care about them too much. And so you go to them and draw alongside and say, Hey, don't go that direction. We want to help you here. And that's, that's a part of how you can uh, help somebody without being a person that violates Individual soul liberty. Amen? Number six is living the truth. Living the truth. 2 Corinthians 4.2 says, But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. There's no greater way to reach people than to actually be a demonstration of the message that you're giving them. If, you're, if you yourself are guilty and you can't live right, how are you going to help other people to live right? That's where the Bible says, look at your own eye first. Get that log out of your eye so you can take the splinter out of their eye. But there is a time where the people do need splinters removed from their eye. But make sure you remove your own so you can see clearly when you help that person. Otherwise, if I got a log in my eye and it says, hey, can I help take out the splinter in your eye? You're crazy to let me, by the way. Because I'll get my tweezer and I'll say, I think I see it somewhere there. <laughs> you know, Oh, that's your pupil. Sorry about that. <laughs> now, you got to be able to see the splinter. And that means you got to live right first. Not walking in craftiness, not having the word of God deceitfully, but being an honest person, you know, dealing with stuff. Not pretending that you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. You're not. Uh, people that brag about themselves, there's not much there. That's, that's all about a, uh, someone that's puffing up a balloon, trying to make it look big. But all that's in there is hot air. Amen? One little pinprick sometimes blows them sky high. It really does. People like that that brag about themselves, it takes very little to bring them down. The Bible says if you exalt yourself, you will be abased. You puff yourself up, I will pop you. <laughs> Amen? That's what God says. So don't think you're, you're all that. You're really not all that. 
You guys understand that language, right, guys? Amen? They say, you're not all that. Well, what does that mean? Well, just think real about yourself. Amen? Think real about yourself. Living the truth. I think the Bibles are clear about um, verses like that, that a man ought not think more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Soberly. Have you ever soberly looked at yourself and said, you know what? I got to be careful. You know, the Bible says, let another man's lips praise you. It ought never be you praising yourself. Not one time in your whole life. Not one time you say, I did a good job here. I did no, you just be quiet. If you did a good job, someone else will tell you. And if they didn't tell you, maybe you didn't. <laughs> maybe you thought you did a good job and it's not really as good as you thought. Amen. Or maybe it was a good job and nobody noticed it, but it doesn't really matter because you're still not going to praise yourself. Amen? I think that's a great principle to live by. How many of you on the job, that's probably one of the things that bothers you the most about your coworkers is they think they're all that. <laughs> Amen? They're all that. And what's the word? They're just capping. <laughs> These guys. <laughs> they're just capping. You guys look at me, what? <laughs> hey, you got teenagers, you know what capping is. <laughs> Living the truth. Seven, and finally, this is my final point. <laughs> later you say, Pastor, what in the world is that? I'll tell you later. <laughs> my final point. Seventh point. Be silent where the scripture is silent. This is where a lot of Christians get in trouble. They got something. They, this is what I just think this is the best thing to do. And they don't have really any reasoning. They don't have any really solid doctrine there. But it sounds good when you talk about it. And so simple Christians get deceived by it. And you make it sound like, well, if you do this, there's something wrong with you. Or if you don't do that, wow, you know. And here these Christians are following and listening to you. Folks, stay silent where the scripture is silent. Amen. If you can't find principles that undergird your, your, your position, then you're in big trouble. Because the Lord is not giving you a second of, of your time, of his time. He doesn't care about that, your, your talks, <laughs> what you're trying to do. His whole thing is to take this word, the source of truth, and to put this into the hearts of people. So sometimes get off the hobby horse. Get off the thing that you think, that's why I say about this whole flat earth thing. It's amazing how it's messed up Christians. And it's hurting churches. Maybe not this one, because I won't let it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you want to start arguing that around here? It won't last very long. No, sir. So well, what if it is? I don't care. <laughs> what do I care? I'm still, my feet are planted on this earth, whether it's flat or triangle or round or whatever. Now, I got my opinion on that. And the rapture, I'll find out when I look back as I'm floating by. Amen. But I think it's a foolish thing to start treating it as doctrine in the church. So what I try to do is just stay silent on where the scriptures are silent. Well, I know the scriptures say it's the circle of the earth. Well, a circle can be this way too. <laughs> That's why you can't argue with these people because they'll just continue to argue and argue and argue. And guess what? They'll never come to the knowledge of the truth. Ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. 
ever talking about it, never being able to really convince anybody by reasoning and argument because there's too many things that are against what they're saying. But you want, this sounds good. Well, that sounds good. This sounds good. Well, that sounds good. Folks, the Bible isn't like that. The Bible is, thus saith the Lord. And there is no second part to that. There is no adjacent doctrine that's just as powerful fighting it. It's very simple when God says something. Amen. That's where you focus. You focus on the words of God. People want to start talking about those foolish things. You just say, I don't have time for that. Because we'd be arguing for the next 30, 40 years. Because people have been arguing for the last 30, 40 years, whatever it may be, and they still haven't come to an agreement. That means, you know, me and you talking tonight, we're not going to come to an agreement on this. Let's just leave it alone. Amen. I love you as a Christian. And, you know, I, I told my boys that. They had young people trying to text them and tell them, flat earth, flat earth. I just told those boys, I said, don't listen to them. You just tell them, you want to be my friend, you're going to stop talking about that. And guess what they did? You want to be my friend, you're going to stop talking about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't give ear to it. Don't give ear to it. It's a waste of time. Now, that's just an example. There's much more. Much more out there, you know. You've got to be careful of the positions you hold. Make sure they're scriptural. Are they tradition? Are they something that's been passed down to you, and now you think it's got to be Bible? I remember one time, what was it? Uh, something to do with Christmas, or maybe it was a Christmas uh, program, or something that... Um, no, one person was very offended because someone told them that they couldn't, they couldn't celebrate Christmas. And they came to me, they were so distraught. Now, I look at this both sides, you see... You come to me all distraught that someone said you can't celebrate Christmas. I look at that and say, well, I can't tell you that you should. But I also can't tell you that you shouldn't. You understand that? Other than the scripture saying in Romans 14, that one man regardeth a day as unto the Lord, one regardeth not a day unto the Lord. So they both could be right as long as they leave each other alone. <laughs> you understand that? Where you're wrong is not what you believe. You don't want to celebrate Christmas. Don't. And do it as unto the Lord. And say, oh, I'm glad you're doing something for me. That's what the Lord will say. And the next person will say, well, I do want to celebrate. I want to celebrate your son and all these things. Well, great. You're doing it to me. Praise God. I feel good about that. The problem is when you get with this guy, say, you should be doing what I do. Well, you should be doing what I do. Well, we should both be doing what each other does, but we don't. Where does that leave you? Well, that brings division in the church. Now the Lord says, now this doesn't please me. I was okay with you before. I was okay with you before, but now you've sinned against your God. That's what the devil's trying to do. He don't care about that or that. He just cares about that. That's why you stay silent where the scriptures are silent. Amen? So if you're here, you say, I celebrate Christmas. Praise God. You're here, you say, I don't. Praise God. <laughs> Just keep it to yourself. Have thy faith to thyself. If that's your hidden faith, you got nothing here you're really going to hang on to. But if that's what it is, you just do it as unto the Lord. You know, that's my position. And that's not a compromising position. I think that's the only position that brings peace into the body. Amen. And that's actually, Romans 14 is all about individual soul liberty. That is the liberty of God's people. So those kind of things, you want to celebrate? Hey.
something sounded quiet, <laughs> you know? And that's why I got to be careful that my preferences don't become doctrine. I can't do that. There's enough doctrine that I could preach till Jesus comes. And I could preach every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, every Sunday school, and I won't run out of stuff to say. So why am I trying to make up stuff or preferential things? And folks, that's where sometimes preachers that become, feel, have a little inferiority complex or something, they're scared. They feel got to hold on to the people with such a, uh, can't let you do that? Now, okay, folks, you got to choose who you serve around here. It's your choice. And when you cross a line, that's, you're going to cross a line. But I just say choose right. I don't want to put up one of those little cameras in your house. Motion said. Some of you are saying I had one of those little security cameras for a night here. And they were saying yeah, I was walking by and they started following me. <laughs> yeah, I have one of those in everybody's house. <laughs> I don't want to do it. Who's got time for that? I need a few of those in my house. <laughs> you know? And so I think that we got to be careful and just speak the scriptures. And where the scriptures are silent, don't be dogmatic. Maybe you can tell somebody, this is what I do. But you can't say you're wrong for not doing it. you got to have, thus saith the Lord.